0: Welcome to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey, where we explore the rise of feminine energy in life, leadership and business. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in business and corporate, and you're struggling to find meaning in what you do and how you engage your team. So join us as we talk all things leadership, strategy and culture, and how we value both the feminine and the masculine in men, women and society at large to make a difference in our workplaces. in this episode we're going to be diving deeper into workplace culture and how as leaders we impact this and specifically why i call it the uh, the culture orb so what is the culture orb and, and how can we utilize that as leaders culture is a really interesting thing in business because when you google or ask anybody well what is culture so many different uh, analogies and so many different definitions come up A few of them that I really like is that culture is the sea in which we all swim. So when we're in an organisation, it's all of the stuff around like the ocean that holds us. Um, Other ways of describing it are the unwritten ground rules. So your culture is a great culture if your unwritten ground rules match your actual written down ground rules. So if, for example, um, people do the right thing even when no one's watching and they don't need to, then that's an example of a great culture. Another example or another definition I've heard is that it's simply the processes and behaviours that we have in organisations. So if we look at an organisation, analyse the behaviours, analyse the processes, see whether people stick to the expectations and standards around those behaviours and processes, then we've got a great culture. So there's lots of different definitions out there. And I think as leaders, it's really important that we understand that culture is held by us. And this is why I call it the culture orb. I imagine it as this really fragile glass orb, you know, like something out of a science fiction film or Lord of the Rings or something like a glass orb or a glass ball, like a crystal ball. And it's covered in like a really delicate metal filigree pattern. And as leaders, we are carrying this around with us every single day that we are there in the workplace. And if we put it down, it might crack or roll away or pressure is applied to only one side and not the other. If we don't turn it around often in our hands, then the, the metal tarnishes or oxidizes. So we've got to make sure that we're constantly rotating it, examining it, holding it, and that it's, it's just there all the time in one of our hands. So we can never put it down and we could never ignore it. And it becomes at least, at least half of what we do. One of the most famous sayings about culture is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And this is attributed to Peter Drucker. And it's a great saying because it, it almost looks at this thing in business where we get so focused on strategy, which is how do we win? Can we win? Is it worth winning? And what do we then put in place in our business to do so? And we forget that we can produce all of the best strategies in the world, but if our people or our culture don't take it on, it doesn't matter. And so we've got to be really conscious as leaders that we need to create great cultures if we want to have anything delivered in a, in an efficient, great way in our organizations. And in strategy, it's fascinating because whenever my background's corporate strategy and whenever we've produced great strategies for businesses, we do a lot of work as well on what are the risks to this strategy and how do we mitigate them? So a lot of work goes on at executive and board level around risk mitigation of strategy. And it's things like, okay, what do we do if the market changes? What are our actions then? What do we do if we get a different type of competitor coming in? What do we do if one of our uh, current competitors changes course? What do we do about disruption, particularly in technology? And all of these things are seen as risks to the strategy. And therefore, we need mitigating actions in place so that if we see the indicators that they're starting to happen, We can put in place our action plans and make sure that we've got something as a business that mitigates that risks and manages that the impact on our business. What's quite interesting is that is rarely done for culture. So sometimes in risk registers, there's a bit of a nod towards change or, oh, our culture might take this on or we're not great at managing change. And then there's not a lot done about it. And so one of the great questions as leaders we can ask ourselves is when we're going through the strategic process is also to sit there and think, well, what are all of the things that could destroy our culture? What are the things that attack our culture? And then think about, well, what are the mitigating actions around that and how do we invest in those actions? So let's have a think. What are the sorts of things that destroy Culture. Well, culture tends to struggle during times of change, particularly if we haven't invested in our people around resilience and understanding how they can think about change. Culture struggles sometimes when different leaders come in and if we get a new leader and they've got a very different style to what we've experienced in the past, that can impact our culture. Culture struggles when no clear expectations are set and so we don't know what the standards are in the organisation and so we play to our own interpretation. Culture struggles when there are no hard conversations. So if we don't know how to have performance management conversations around either behaviour or adherence to process, etc., then culture struggles there. Culture struggles when we don't take into account that every single person in the organization's mindset impact, impacts our culture because their mindset impacts their behavior. So if we don't understand other people, if we don't celebrate the differences and diversity in thinking and have no empathy for each other, then culture struggles. So there's an awful lot here. And I'm sure you can think of many more examples. There's an awful lot here that impacts culture. And yet very rarely do we put any plans in place to help that. And pretty much when you look at that list, I've just I've just reeled off around change, resilience, hard conversations, expectations, managing behaviours, no empathy, understanding each other. Pretty much all of that sits under leadership. And so if we've got great leadership in organisations, then we generally end up with great cultures, which is why it comes back to. Do the leaders consciously think about the culture, think about their impact and think about how they mitigate against any attacks on the culture? And this is why it comes back to this uh, analogy that, or this metaphor I have of the culture orb, because if we are carrying that around with us all the time, then it's a conscious thought. We're consciously thinking about how are we always making a difference to the culture and how are we always making sure that it's top of mind for us? Because as a leader, that's our role. So let's have a talk about how we can impact culture in a great way. And how do we link these two things together, strategy and culture? Because, of course, they're both important in business. One of the best models I've seen around this is called the critical alignment model, and it comes from one of my amazing mentors, Sharon Pearson from the Coaching Institute down in Melbourne. And I highly recommend going to the Coaching Institute and experiencing their whole suite of uh, courses around metadynamics, as this is where the critical alignment model really comes into its own. So I'm going to give you a summary of this model, and it's a really useful tool to go back into your organisation or your team and work out where you may have gaps in alignment. So the critical alignment model. So it's it's got four main parts to it. Sometimes we just call it ESIP, E-S-I-P, and ESIP stands for Environment, Structure, Implementation and People. And interestingly, in this model, if we look at it at a purely surface level, People come last. And that's always a little bit of a a moment for a lot of people or a lot of leaders because we're always told to think of people first. But what's interesting here is if we work on the environment, the structure and the implementation, then we are putting people first because they can't survive and thrive in a culture unless we've done the work across the E, S and I first. So it is putting people first because we have to do all of these actions to show that we put people first. So let's talk through each one of those chunks and have a think about where we may have gaps in our own organisations. So the first chunk environment, this is the bit that most organisations struggle with. It's where we put our mission, our vision, our mindset as an organization, our attitude, our behaviors, the standards that we expect around all of this, our value set. So it's what's traditionally called the almost like the soft stuff that's the hardest stuff to do. So if we can set up um, an environment where we understand what we're all heading towards, what's our big why, what are our goals and how are we achieving them? So the how is around our value set as well as literally what's the plan. So it's around making sure that we've got all of the cultural pieces in place. So all of the pieces around, do you know why you're at work and do you know how to be at work? And do we understand that one of the values that we'll have in our in our culture is that if these things aren't seen, we're going to have conversations about them. So this is where performance discussions become less about the individual and more about upholding the culture. So if we can have a conversation with our people when they've done something that doesn't sit right with the standards of behaviour we expect, it becomes less personal about them and more around well, we're holding this culture orb and we need to make sure that we are doing the right thing by it. And therefore, I'm going to challenge on any standard eroding moments, say, around behaviours, because that means if I don't, I'm not protecting that orb. I'm not protecting the culture and it can be classed as an attack on the culture. And so this is where if we set the environment up and we're really clear on our expectations, then it becomes one of those risk mitigation actions around how we make sure that we've got a great culture. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the time in businesses, this work is done in the sense that there is a written down vision, mission and values and behaviours, but it becomes this this poster or this laminated list that is just stuck on the wall of every meeting room and it's not actually lived And so to stop it just being this piece of work that's done to say, yep, we've got a vision and a mission and values, we've got to make it real in the organisation. And the next step in the model is to then go to S for structure. And structure is all of the building blocks that we need in the organisation to deliver the environment. So if we think about it, structure is things like what governance do we have? What systems do we use? The organisational structure is a structure because it's the way that we structure work to be delivered. Um, So any processes, any benchmarks, any KPIs, all of those things sit as the building blocks within the structure piece. It's how we work out how we prioritise work, too. So, for example, if we break it down, we may have a structure that is we've got a marketing chunk. We've got a sales chunk. We've got an operations chunk. And underneath them sits a series of structures that also deliver the environment. So one of the key things that can go wrong in structure is where it doesn't actually support the environment. So, for example, many organizations have a value of agility or flexibility. So it will be described as something like um, we are agile in meeting the needs of our customers, something like that. And that's great. It's stuck there on that environmental poster. And we've got descriptions around how that value looks like in terms of behavior in the organization. And then we get to the structures in the organization. And we have, say, a sign off process for delivering a variation of contract or a variation of offer to a customer where it requires every single senior leader, say 10 of them, to sign off. And suddenly what we've done is in the structure, we've put an overly bureaucratic process in place, which doesn't live the value of agility. So we've got a couple of decisions to make here. We either understand that we are not an agile culture and we don't intend to be because we've got too much risk to manage. Therefore, let's not lie to ourselves and lie to our people and let's take it out of the values set. So let's stop pretending that we're agile and take it out of the value set and replace it with something that's more meaningful to us as a culture. Or if we truly believe that agility is part of us and part of our culture, part of our value set and what we want to be known for, then we need to have the courage to make sure that our structures reflect that. So we need to make sure that they sit in an agile world. And that means probably less bureaucracy for most, um, for most of these things. Now, that then also requires a level of trust. So it means that if we are working with our employees, and we want to make sure that we are living agility, but we're also making sure we've got any sort of risks that we've, we think we might have mitigated, there's a whole level of trust there that the employees are going to do the right thing which means that we set up a different type of culture to a massively risk managed culture. And we've got to make sure that our behaviours, our conversations, some of the processes around that are all part of this. So it makes sure that these things all fit together. So we've got environment, we've got structure. And then the next chunk is implementation. Now, implementation are the tasks and actions that sit in the structures to deliver the environment. So one of the things we can do is have a look in our organisations and go, is there that flow? Do so we have an environment that makes sense to us and it captures our culture and what we want to stand for? And it's got our goals and what we're here to do. Then have we got structures in place that then deliver that? And so they're aligned to make sure that they they represent the values and they're online to deliver their goals. And then the tasks and the actions that sit under the structures should fit into that flow and say it's all working really, really well, so that environment structure implementation piece is working really well, we get down to that last chunk of people, which is around the have we got the capacity and capability to deliver the tasks and actions that sit in the structures to deliver the environment. And when all of this is in flow, people live in this organisation. They live and they thrive and survive because they know what's expected of them the tasks and the actions, they know how they fit into the overarching structure, and they know why we're doing all of this and how we want to be perceived as an organizational culture. And so all of the things flow. So this is why when these things are all in alignment, we say, well, the people get looked after. We've put people first if we are living environment structure implementation. And they've got a clear line of sight to the overall objectives and their expectations on them about how to behave. So where does it go wrong? Well, it's interesting. One of the things to do in organisations is have a listen to the sorts of conversations that happen. And a lot of the time we find that organisations are really stuck down in I and P. So we hear things like, well, the finance team didn't deliver on that task. So that's implementation. It's also a bit of P because we're hearing the team that's being being talked about. the finance team didn't deliver on that task and therefore I can't do my job and so again we are really stuck down in I and P and every time this is critical for leaders to understand but every time there's an issue in I or P it's showing that there's a gap in E and S so every time we hear of Any talk around stuff that hasn't been implemented or delivered and stuff around the people that didn't do it or they did do it, whichever way it is. Whenever we hear that language in IMP, we need to immediately start thinking, okay, I get that. So what E and S are missing or what are the gaps here that we haven't explored? And in that way, what we're doing is we're making the conversation more about how do we culturally come back and make this work rather than, well, how do we go and have a go at finance because they didn't do their thing? So common examples are, well, finance didn't do their thing because they've got so many other pieces of work on and no one's prioritised it. So gap in s gap in e we've got a gap in s in that they've got so many other things on so chances are structurally the work isn't organized in a great way and maybe we need to start looking at processes and a gap in e because we haven't got aligned goals on what finance are doing to support us and vice versa Equally, I would go a little bit further and think about, well, if we've got a lot of blame going on down in the P, you know, the the sort of, well, finance didn't do their job, so I can't do that sort of language and that sort of tone. Then I'm also thinking we've got an issue with values because that isn't a great way for different parts of the organisation to be talking about each other. And so I think there's probably an E issue there around values and how we have empathy or respect or whatever the language is for our different departments. Some of the common issues that we see in environment are things like the absence or unclear purpose. They, another one that then follows on from that is that we have uh, like issues between organisational and personal wise. So there might be a leader out there that has their own personal agenda and it doesn't match with the organisational agenda. And there's a lack of clarity around decision making. So we don't know how we prioritize because we don't really understand how all the goals come into alignment together. Another one is around values and standards, because if these are absent or not clear, then it's really difficult for people in the organization to know how to be in this organization. That's compounded when we see things like leaders say one thing and then do another And if there's no consistency, so different people get treated differently dependent on their level or who they're friends with or who they network with in the organisation. And of course, if we aren't prepared to have the hard conversations around all of this, it just makes the issue even bigger. Another issue in the environment is the belief system of the organisation that we don't believe we can do it if the leaders say are going on a change agenda a transformation agenda and they don't believe that it's doable then it's really difficult for that not to flow down the organization another belief issue is that we don't challenge the givens in the organization so a lot of the time in organizations especially those with a lot of history there are some things that are just a given And if we don't go back and challenge those things, challenge the assumptions that sit behind the organisation and the work that's done, then, again, we may not be able to get a great environment going. And then in behaviours, another common issue that we see in environment is that we don't understand or care about our impact on others, which is purely a behavioural piece. And this often leads to a lack of trust in an organisation. So a critical thing about environment is when it's done really, really well, it builds trust and it builds context for people in the organisation, which is an amazing, great start to have a fantastic culture. And then common issues that we see in S, we might have great systems, but if they're not used or it's ill-defined about how to use them, then we'll have issues around how these systems then flow down into tasks. Another one in the system space is the use of workarounds. And this one's a really interesting one because workarounds are there because the systems aren't working. So it's great in one sense that people go, right, I need to go out and make sure I can deliver this for a customer and I need to do a workaround for it. On the short term, that's great. That means somebody's taken the initiative and done something about it. But if the workarounds stay in the organisation, what's happening is we're not building in sustainability. And so when we're looking at S and structure, we're really looking at how we drive sustainability into an organisation and workarounds are a great example of how we're not building in sustainability. Another issue in S is this short-term versus long-term thinking, which, which sort of comes down from that last example. But if this is happening at a leadership level, then we're constantly churning up the organisation with our priorities and focus areas going through and saying, yeah, we've got a long-term vision, a long-term strategy, and we've got all of these structures and tasks and to-do lists that sit under that oh, sorry, we've got to actually make make the money at the end of this quarter, and so we're going to throw all of that up in the air and potentially damage our long-term strategy. So this short-term versus long-term thinking has an impact in S. Around benchmarks, so benchmarks are a useful component of S because they help us understand how we're working. But if they're unclear and inconsistent and not linked to KPIs, then we're going to have issues. And the other one that we see commonly in S is lack of governance, So um, if the governance structure isn't there and it's lacking, it means that we don't know how we're performing. But equally, if it's overly bureaucratic, we might be sort of twanging a value there, like we talked about earlier around decision making. And if governance isn't communicated or explained, then we've got people in the organisation who might not understand that we need a degree of governance And they don't, but it's not been communicated to them as to why. And so if they start talking about it in a, in an unhelpful way, that again will contribute to not making the culture great. Overall, at a top level, when we're lacking in E or environment in an organization, then we destroy context and trust. And when we're lacking in S in an organization, clarity and stability tends to not be there. And all this leads to a feeling in I and P, because if there isn't E and S, people just focus right on down there in I and P. And so the I feeling, the implementation feeling can be this busy being busy. So everyone's always busy, but we're not always doing the right work. And this tends to lead to uh, like lack of engagement or apathy or people just being a bit of a jobs worth and coming in and doing the absolute bare minimum in an organisation. So it's really important that we spend the work, spend the time doing the E and the S as leaders to make sure that our I and P work really, really well together. So as leaders, I want you to go away and have a think about how you drive the E and the S in your team. Have a think about what environmental pieces you can put into play, the vision, the mission, the values, the behaviors, and then how that flows through into the structures in your team or your organization so that the P can take care of themselves. And also have a think about what are the things that attack your culture So what are the risks to your culture and therefore what mitigating actions do you need to think about every single day to make sure that your culture is there to be the fertilizer for your strategy? So there's no point in having amazing strategies if we don't have a culture that's going to accept it and drive it and thrive in it. And start thinking about that culture orb that you're carrying every single day. Have a think about the moments that happen to you when you put it down. So when you think, oh, I've got too much to be getting on with here. I'm just going to ignore that bit for now. Not going to worry too much about it. I'm going to let that hard conversation slip or I'm not going to call someone on that standard eroding moment. What are those for you? Because they're the moments that you put the culture orb down and it cracks or tarnishes. And have a think if you are carrying this thing metaphorically, of course, but if you're carrying this thing around with you in one hand, what are you doing with the other? So how do you make sure that yes, you're driving the, the culture, but also are you driving the right level of work? So we've got 50% of our time on culture. So are you driving the right level of work on the other 50%? Because as a leader, if 50% of your time is spent on the culture, then you're not going to have time to get down into micromanaging the I and the P. You've got to make sure you're doing the E and the S work and having the conversations with your people around that to make sure that that the E and the S stay alive and sustained in your organisation. As a final note here, uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to Sharon Pearson and the body of work that she's done on this. If you're interested in finding out more, she's got a fantastic book called Disruptive Leadership. And it's worth buying to go into the the critical alignment model even more or go and check out um, the coaching Institute down in Melbourne and their courses on metadynamics where they explore the critical alignment model in great detail. And I just love how it's a, a really useful model to not only apply to organizations, but you can apply it to yourself too. You can have a think about your own environment, your own structures about and how that fits into your goals around your own implementation So it's a really useful model to make sure that we're having all the levels of thinking covered when we're looking at either our own goals or also how we operate as a leader in an organisation. Thank you for listening to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review as this helps us spread the message and keep the conversations going. If you'd like to find out more about Rebecca's work, go check out her website on AchieveLeadSucceed.com where you can sign up to receive her ebook on the five C's of feminine energy and a video of Rebecca talking about leadership and feminine energy. And we've also got a Facebook group where we talk about all things leadership and culture, particularly around masculine and feminine energy. And that's called Captivating Leadership. So you're very welcome to join us there too. See you soon.